So this fall, we're looking at the stories of Jesus to gain a better idea and understanding of who he was and what he taught. Um, obviously, being a Christian is about having a relationship with Christ, and the more we know about Christ and what he taught and what he said, the better that relationship will, will be. But one of the primary methods of teaching that Jesus used was a form called a parable. And we find lots of different parables in the New Testament. Some are short, some are long. Uh, but a parable can be defined as an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. But Jesus would basically take these common, ordinary circumstances, things in everyday life, and he would use them to illustrate some deeper uh, message about the kingdom of God. And, and, and these were profound. And today we come to the parable of the sower in Matthew chapter 13. Jesus taught this parable by the Sea of Galilee, perhaps even spontaneously. Some uh, New Testament scholars would say that Jesus looked up on a hill and saw a farmer, a sower, and he said, you know, a sower went out to sow, and, he, and then he taught from there, which is pretty amazing if that is true. Uh, Matthew tells us that when he went to the sea, there was a large, great crowd that gathered to hear him teach. But Jesus does something in this parable <clears throat> that he doesn't do in some of the other parables, and that is he explains it. Just a few verses later, after the passage that Mary Claire read, Jesus says this, Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what is sown in the heart. This is what was sown on the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet such a person has no root but endures only for a while, and when trouble or persecution arises on account of the word, that person immediately falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the lure of wealth choke the word, and it yields nothing. But as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. So Jesus takes the time to actually tell us this is what the parable of the sower is about. And he doesn't always do that in the other parables. That's why some of the parables that we read and study can have multiple meanings and multiple applications for our lives. But in this one, he just spells it out. He says, here's what it means. This morning, I'd like to talk to you about the concept of spiritual maturity in light of the parable of the sower. What does it mean to be a spiritually mature person? What does it mean to have a deep Christian faith that is not just superficial? And what I want to do is propose to you that the different types of soil that Jesus refers to in this parable, this represents, these represent different types of Christians at different levels of their spiritual walk. I think that this parable is a metaphor for different uh, uh, stages of faith or spiritual development. But let me start by asking you this question. What does it mean to be spiritually mature? H how would you answer that? What does spiritual maturity look like in your life? Write down that phrase, spiritual maturity, and then <laughs> define it and show your spouse, the person sitting next to you. See what they think about what you have to say this morning. Maybe you would say that spiritual maturity 
simply means that you take your life, your spiritual life, seriously. Maybe you would say that spiritual maturity means that you pay attention to the state of your heart and your motives and the intentions that you have. Maybe you would say that spiritual maturity means that you don't get angry or worked up over certain things in your life. You're able to stay in control of your emotions, even when it seems difficult. Maybe you would say that spiritual maturity means that you have developed a healthy relationship with God on a daily basis, a prayer life, a devotional time, a small group for growth and accountability, and you make this a priority in your life. All of these answers would be correct. They would all be just fine. I think that the spiritual life is one of the most neglected dimensions of our lives. And I think this because many people simply don't know how to develop it, how to cultivate it on a regular basis. We're busy. Uh, we're preoccupied. We're stressed out. But becoming spiritually mature is a big part of growing up in life and growing up in faith. And some people get it and some people never get it. Uh, I like the, the books that Nebraska Senator Ben Sass has written uh, over the past few years. Some of you might remember he wrote a book this year called Them, Why We Hate Each Other and How to Heal. But a few years ago, he wrote a, a, another book called The Vanishing American Adult, where he identifies what seems to be a growing problem in our culture. Many people don't know what it means to grow up, simply put. He says this, I believe our entire nation is in the midst of a collective coming-of-age crisis without parallel in our history. We are living in an America of perpetual adolescence. Our kids simply don't know what an adult is anymore or how to become one. Many don't even see a reason to try. Perhaps more problematic, the older generations have forgotten that we need to plan to teach them what it means to be an adult. It's our fault more than it's theirs. And Sass goes on to elaborate on the different factors that have led to this problem and what he thinks needs to happen for this to change. Now there's another book written by a guy named William Durkowicz, and Durkowicz wrote a book called Excellent Sheep, The Miseducation of America's Elite. And he taught at Yale for a number of years, but this is what Durkowicz says. The system manufactures students, he's talking about education, the system manufactures students who are smart and talented and driven, yes, but also anxious, timid, and lost, with little intellectual curiosity and a stunted sense of purpose, trapped in a bubble of privilege, heading meekly in the same direction, great at what they're doing, but with no idea why they're doing it. Simply put, many of our young people today are lost, and they do not know or understand what life is all about. And I believe that this actually points to a spiritual crisis, one of meaning, one of purpose, one of direction, passion. He says life is more than a job, and jobs are more than a paycheck, and a country is more than its wealth. Education is more than the acquisition of marketable skills, and you are more than your ability to contribute to your employer's bottom line or the nation's GDP, no matter what the rhetoric of politicians or executives would have you think. I believe that growing up in life involves finding our purpose. 
It involves owning our faults, not always blaming other people or other causes, and it involves learning humility. It involves thinking for ourselves, forming our own beliefs, not just blindly accepting everything that we hear. Because guess what? Everything that you hear is not true. It involves an ongoing quest for spiritual maturity, which is what Jesus seemed to be concerned about. I believe Jesus wants us to grow in our faith. Jesus wants us to grow in our spiritual life. Jesus wants us to become spiritually mature. He says, you will know them by their fruits. Jesus wants us to take our spiritual lives seriously, but that involves first acknowledging that spiritual values are very different from secular values. Spiritual values are countercultural in many ways. New Testament scholar Marcus Borg identified secular values as the three A's. What are they? Appearance, affluence, and achievement. He says these are the values that drive many people the first half of their lives, and these are the values that drive some people their entire life. Now, there's nothing wrong with these things unless that becomes your only focus, unless that becomes the only thing that you care about, appearance, affluence, achievement. But the way of Jesus is a way out of a life that's simply driven by those things. He is calling us to a much deeper place, a place of the Spirit. Faith in God and growth in the spiritual life are absolutely intertwined. They cannot be separated. So back to this parable, the parable of the sower found in Matthew 13. I think the different soils represent different levels of maturity. So first, let's look at the seed that fell on the path. It was trampled, and then the birds quickly came and ate it up. These are people who are easily distracted from hearing God's message. For these folks, the message barely resonates with them before they desire something else. Something else takes their attention, takes them off in a completely different direction. Now, these are not bad people by any means. They are good people. It's just that they never seem to have the capacity or the interest to listen and then respond to God's message. Christianity fails to make an impact on their hearts because they are hostile towards it or they are indifferent to it. They just don't see how it's relevant, how it's life-changing, they don't have time or they don't make time for it. So for many of these folks, we'll call this the path group, Sunday morning is just another day, a time to sleep in, a time to make other plans, go to the golf course, go to the tennis courts, go to the pool, the lake, or any other activity that may sound more appealing than church. Now, there's always a, a better option. I'm not talking about doing this from time to time. We went to the lake last weekend with some friends. I'm talking about doing this on a consistent basis over and over again, completely ignoring the concept of the Sabbath, which is worship and rest. And I would throw in family time. Worship, rest, family time. And yeah, football's a part of that as well. You can rest while you watch football. Just not at the game. It's hard to rest there. Now, there are three basic 
barriers that keep people on this path. The first is fear. They're often afraid of what God might demand of them. The second is pride. Many of these folks will say, you know, I don't need God. Things are going well in my life. I'm doing just fine. I don't need help. C.S. Lewis wants to find pride as a spiritual cancer that is only focused on self, competition, being better than others. Pride is often a way of disguising insecurity. Many of these people think that if they, if they take time to listen to God, they might have to admit their weaknesses and their shortcomings, and pride keeps them from doing that. The third barrier is resentment and anger. Resentment and anger. It's, it's this mindset that life is difficult and challenging, and we all go through hard times and, and trying situations. And so one of the ways that some people respond when bad things happen or when tough things happen is they turn away, they run away, and they say, why would God let me have to deal with something like this? Whatever the reason, the people on the path never let their faith transform their hearts and who they are and how they see the world. It never takes root. It never grows. It never flourishes. The birds eat it up and it's gone. The second kind of soil that Jesus talks about is the, the rocky ground, where it sprang up quickly, but it had no depth of soil. And then the sun comes out and it's scorched. I think that these are the people who get excited about their faith, they're excited about a new small group, excited about a new Bible study, excited about a new curriculum, and they have a lot of enthusiasm, but it doesn't last very long. They are believers for a while, but they soon fall away. They don't give their faith and their spiritual life the time and the attention that it needs. These are people who might join the church, and they are gung-ho. They want to be on every committee. They want you to give them a leadership position. But then a couple months later, you look around and you go, where did that person go? They've drifted. The folks on the rocky ground often show a lack of commitment. Maybe it's because they don't take the time to nurture their souls. And to some extent, I think we're all capable of that. If we neglect our faith and our spiritual life, then we don't take the time to do the things that matter on a soul level. These are the people who are initially thrilled or inspired by the gospel message, but they're not transformed by it. These are people who want to be faithful Christians. They want to get involved in the church, but commitment and self-discipline is just not really their thing. Now, we can all slip into this category, the rocky ground, where we don't have any depth of roots. And then when, 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 when hard times come, it just doesn't last. Our faith withers. You can grow things in the rocky soil, but it usually doesn't last very long. Third category of soil that Jesus gives in this parable is the seed that fell among the thorns. And the thorns grew up and choked it so that it yielded no grain. So apparently the crop was healthy until the thorns got a hold of it. These are the folks who have too many distractions in their lives, too many things that compete for their allegiance, God's message can easily be choked out by modern-day thorns. What are the modern-day thorns? Well, think about it. Money, possessions, selfishness, worries, fear, anger, social status, friends who have different priorities, anything that keeps us from focusing on our faith and from growing spiritually. I've always found it ironic that in a culture that is plagued by high levels of fear and anxiety and worry and uncertainty, 
what we might find is that if we turn more of our lives over to God, then that fear and that anxiety might decrease and maybe even go away. But so many of us want to hold on to it and we want to handle everything by ourselves. We want to stay in control. We want to be in control. Another very prevalent thorn in our culture, and many of you are aware of this because it's impacted your family, is addiction. Drugs, alcohol, opioids, pain pills, food, sex, shopping, gambling. When we fail to keep these things in moderation, they become a problem. And almost every family that I know has been impacted by this on some level. That's why at Woodmont, we're very committed to having AA groups and Al-Anon groups and other recovery ministries because there are many people that struggle with addiction or they have loved ones that struggle with addiction and they simply don't know what to do to help them. Even though we don't like to hear it, another thorn is materialism and affluence. These are modern-day thorns. Megan and I got to go to Chicago for a couple of days this week. She had a conference. Um, I wanted to be a supportive spouse and go with her. Um, but I walked up and down Michigan Avenue, and holy smokes, man, you could buy all kinds of stuff that you don't need on Michigan Avenue. I came home with a Dallas Cowboys jersey that I didn't even know I needed. We buy stuff sometimes because we're bored. <laughs> but materialism runs rampant in American culture, and, and, and we get that quick high from buying things that we really don't need, and then it's only a matter of time before we need the next new thing, the shinier thing, the better thing. Thorns are everywhere, and thorns can ruin an otherwise healthy crop, and sometimes we have a hard time identifying those thorns. Negativity is a thorn. Pessimism is a thorn. Cynicism is a thorn. We have to pay attention to the thorns because they are all over the place and they can choke out a healthy crop. Lastly this morning, Jesus talks about the good soil. And this is what we're all trying to be. We're all trying to, to move to become the good soil. And he says that the seed fell among the good soil and it brought forth grain growing up and increasing 30, 60, 100 fold. This is spiritual maturity. This is what Christ is calling us to become, the good soil. It's those who hear God's word, who are receptive, who believe, and who make a conscious decision to put their faith into action. These are the Christians who, who know their priorities and they live their priorities. And because of this, their life is transformed. The good soil is characterized by a willing heart, an open spirit, a readiness to love God and to love other people. These good soil people have the same pressures as everybody else. They have the same amount of time, 24 hours in the day, but there's something different about them. Their life seems to be more in balance. They seem to be more at peace. They seem to live in the present. They know what's most important, and they don't get rattled very easily. The good soil people are the ones who worship regularly, who pray, who love, who give, who care, who serve, who support, and who find great joy and meaning and fulfillment in doing all of these things. These are the people who, who come to know and understand and appreciate what God's kingdom is all about. And guess what? The kingdom of God must start right here within your own heart before it can spread. They move beyond superficiality to a different level of connection 
And these are people who live out the Lord's Prayer, working to bring God's kingdom to earth. Jesus is calling each and every one of us to be this type of soil, to be this type of Christian. Good soil people have learned to make the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5 a priority. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Make those your goals. Try to implement those things into your life, into your words, into your actions. This is spiritual maturity. And when you live it, others can see it and they can tell. And I believe that every single day, every single day, we are given opportunities to decide what type of soil we're going to be. And every single day, if we're not too busy or too distracted, we will be presented with an opportunity to be the good soil, to increase 30, 60, 100 fold. And so let's all make a commitment. I think some of the problem for all of us is that we're so busy, we're so stressed, we're running from one thing to the next that we don't feel like we have the time to be the good soil. When somebody stops us or when somebody asks something of us, we feel inconvenienced, we feel put out. But we have a chance to be the good soil every day if we look up and look around. There are people that are hurting, people that are struggling, people that need our love and support. So let's be the good soil that Jesus talks about in this parable. Amen.